What, uh, what an amazing gift to be here together, to have uh, songs sung like this and to have these traditions that we can hold together. So uh, if we haven't met, my name is Mike Bennett. I'm the site pastor here at 10th Church East Van. Be here on what is my first Christmas Eve uh, in my first year working here at 10th Church. So it's so great to be here with you. So tonight, here we are. It, it is Christmas Eve. And so it's, as we've been hearing through the readings and the songs so far, it's that night where we gather to celebrate God's light coming into the darkness of our world. We remember that Jesus was born in a manger born as a vulnerable baby, born to a peasant family, poor, and during a housing crisis in Bethlehem that year. The place where they found to lay him, as we see here, was in a manger, a place, a very simple, very humble place. So tonight I want to just pause for a few minutes and help us to reflect on what did it mean for Jesus to come in this way? What was all the amazement, all the wonder, all the awe all about? Because on its surface, what we have is just a baby born in a manger so long ago. Not quite as long ago, about 22 years ago, my wife, uh, Klanza, and I lived in Zambia in Africa, where I was a high school teacher with Mennonite Central Committee, and my wife, Klanza, was able to work locally with orphans. And something happened uh, in the year 2001. The news about this event spread across the nation. And you've got to remember, this is pre-internet days. So it was in the newspaper, on the TV. There was going to be a total solar eclipse passing through the capital city, Lusaka, about four hours north from where we lived. So because it was such a new thing in that part of the world, and I'm a science teacher, it was up to me to stand in front of groups of students and explain scientifically what is a solar eclipse. Because there were a lot of stories and rumors spreading about what this event meant. You know, you, you can't look at it or you'll go blind. Or, or it means something, something spiritual or, or other, otherworldly important to the world. What could happen? So though I taught the students about the eclipse and, and all I could, I was teaching something that I myself had not seen. So I knew that I had to make that journey north. I had to see this for, my, for myself with my own eyes. So on the day of the eclipse in, in Lusaka, we sort of woke up and we got ready with our dark glasses and a pinhole camera. Maybe some of you have experienced this before in Oregon, I'm not sure. And so we started viewing the, the, the slowly eclipsing sun with those safety lenses. And then the moment happened. The, the dark disk of the moon moves completely in front of the bright disk of the sun. And at that moment, it felt like the, the you know, it's a hot African day. The, the temperature felt like it dropped about 10 degrees Celsius. The, the dogs that were barking suddenly went silent. The birds that were in the air suddenly took to the trees, thinking night had suddenly come. And for those moments... I, along with, I'm sure, millions, just stared in awe at this wonder in the heavens, this sight in the sky. Because you see, during a total eclipse, the, all you see around the, the black disk of the moon is the, the, the flaming corona. 
and it, it just looks like blue, wispy flames sort of off into space, and you can stare at it safely with the naked eye. It's, it's truly a sight to behold. It's beyond words. It's something I will never forget. In the events of Christmas, the Bible records, and we don't know how or why, but there were strange sights in the heavens above the Middle East during that time as well. So what we want to do, I want to read a short passage of some travelers that saw those sights in the heavens and that made their own decision to go and see. We want to ask, what did they see? What did they find when they came to the manger that night? So allow me to read Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. After they had heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Allow me just to pray as we get into this. Lord, I thank you for this night and for these reminders of something that happened in history, something that the stars pointed to, and something that these travelers saw. Lord, would you help us reflect as we come to look at you tonight? Amen. So you've heard of the Magi. You, you may have heard of them as the three kings. Uh, we've, sing, we've sung the song. But we don't know much about them. From the name Magi, uh, historians tell us that they were likely a priestly caste of people from Persia. Very well-educated uh, people. They, they studied the night skies and, and looked at the motions of the stars and the planets to, to let them know what the gods might be up to. They likely also read the ancient religious scrolls from all the the surrounding region of Persia, looking for truth, looking for meaning in the world. So as they studied the stars, it seems that the stars and perhaps even the scrolls pointed them to a curious journey, sort of like I made that June 20 years ago, a journey to follow a star to see what these sights in the heavens mean. And so we see that these unlikely figures who shouldn't have been there show up in the tiny village in the province of Roman Palestine, probably with a caravan of camels and and servants. It would have been quite a scene to show up in a quiet village place to see a baby. Historians also tell us that the the journey they would have taken would have been probably one to four months. It's about 1,100 kilometers from what today is Iraq to the town of Bethlehem, all on foot. Uh, That would be like you and I walking to Edmonton from here, on foot, or a camel with your suitcases. That's a long way to go. So we want to ask, what, in fact, did they come to see? And what did they find when they bowed to worship the baby Jesus? So I want to briefly mention three things tonight about what I think the story tells us. First, I'd like to look at what was said about this Jesus before he was born. And then I'd like to look at what things were said about him during his time by people who knew him. And finally, what did Jesus say about himself 
when he lived his adult life. So first of all, there were many things written about Jesus uh, many, many years before this night, before this birth. So we want to turn briefly to a very famous passage in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before this birth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 reads like this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It was said that this baby was going to be a king of epic proportions, that he'd, he'd lead like a, a global government where, where peace would reign. It would have no end, and he as a leader would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yet it's so interesting that, that during the earthly life of Jesus, he, he held no political office. He never encouraged his followers to take political power. And then his life on earth was cut remarkably short. So then we can ask, when he was alive, what did people who knew him, what did they say about him? So during about that same time of his life, Jesus had a cousin named John the Baptist. We sometimes hear about his birth during the Christmas story as well. He was recognized as a biblical prophet in his own time. Interestingly, John spoke some very high praise, abnormally high praise for his cousin Jesus. When Jesus started his ministry, John declared to his followers that Jesus would be much greater than him. In fact, he said Jesus would baptize people with God's Holy Spirit. That in fact, Jesus would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about your cousins, but that's a lot of high praise for your cousin. Something was different, and John knew something. And then we read in many other places of the New Testament, things like this. News was spreading that in fact, Jesus was a mighty healer. That in fact, His baptism of the Holy Spirit did have mighty power to change people. So crowds started coming to meet Jesus in the wilderness. They came to find him in the towns where he was staying, and they they packed out houses just listening to his words. They they brought their sick to Jesus and and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. These are astounding historical stories. And it, it seemed like signs of that everlasting kingdom that Isaiah wrote about were happening in their midst. So finally, we can ask, what did Jesus say about himself? Surely he must have said some things. And indeed he did. Of the many things he said, near the end of John's own ministry, John sent one of his own followers to Jesus with this question. He writes, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And that might be a question you might ask today, like, is, is there really anything to this Jesus? What, what was he? Should we expect someone else, something else? And so the, the, the people, maybe like us, but particularly the Jewish people, were, were waiting for their Messiah. It had been hundreds of years reading stuff like Isaiah. And then the Magi show up, following a star. So Jesus answered their questions in many ways. But in John's Gospel, chapter 14, during a a prolonged speech to his followers before he left, Jesus said this about himself. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Amazing words. Peace. This prince of peace, the, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I don't know about you, but that just sounds so good. So as I said, this past year has been my first as a pastor here at 10th Church. And I've enjoyed meeting so many people from many different backgrounds who've gone through many things and have various testimonies about their own faith in Christ. But there's been a particular group of people I've come to know uh, well here, and it's, it's some of the newcomers to Canada who we've welcomed in our midst at 10th Church. And particularly uh, interesting to me has been a group of these newcomers from Afghanistan who have, for various reasons, before they've arrived, have found faith in Jesus Christ. So as I've talked with them about their difficult journey lasting one, two years just to get here to Canada, my favorite word of 2023, which they've taught me, is Aramish, peace. It's the word they say to me when I ask them, how did you go through it? How did you deal with it when, when bombs were falling and, and, and threats in the street and you, and you left to Pakistan? And then you got on planes and, and you went to Brazil. And then you made the difficult choice to walk, to ride, to follow others through jungles, all the way from Brazil to Canada. How did you do it? How did you face that? So what they speak to me, those who had want to speak about it and, and speak about their faith, say, Aramish, peace. As we were facing all these dangers, we knew we know that there's a God with us. So as one of the women was speaking this word to me, I said, well, what does it really mean? And she was sort of struggling to translate it. And she, as she said, Aramish, she, she pointed to her heart and to her head. And she said, it's like freedom. It's like freedom in your heart, freedom in your mind that came to me for the first time when I, come, when I came to believe in Jesus. So I don't know, for me, learning about these ancient words about Jesus, from Jesus, that he would give us this kind of peace, but underscored by their stories that they have indeed found it true, has really left a mark on me and leads me more and more to want to share this message with all of us, with others, that there is a kingdom of peace and it comes from Jesus. So I'd like to ask us tonight, perhaps you've You've known Jesus for a long time. You're a regular church attender. But this elusive peace is eluding you. Or perhaps you're like the Magi, these unlikely figures who are on a spiritual quest and they're looking for signs and they're making a journey. And you've ended up here tonight looking at Jesus for some reason. We might ask the question, have you accessed this peace? Do you know how to access this peace that Jesus offers our world. From my experience, it's this kind of peace that leads me and leads others I know to live this life differently. This, this kind of peace that, in a way, rides above the, the politics, the, the societal forces governing our world. And it, it settles me. It allows me to sleep at night. It allows me to face my day. Accessing this peace, Jesus said, would be available to anyone. And through the years of church history, we see it. Honestly, anyone who would, there's no magic words, but who would in their heart decide, I want that. 
can seem to cry out in the most simplest of prayers, help, or Lord, help me, Jesus. And they then share stories that this peace floods into their life. And so while we, we grab this peace and it, it actually goes a long way to solve some of the inner turmoil we face, I want to suggest that even that would not be enough. Because the peace of Jesus is, is too good to just stay in our hearts, giving us peace. This kind of peace, as Isaiah said, is meant for others. It's meant for, for, for government level, for society level peace. And so as we claim this kind of peace for ourselves, we actually become sent as agents to the world in chaos, talking about peace, bringing peace, working together with unlikely people, people different than us, for peace. It's this kind of peace in us that allows us to, to do risky work in, in, in areas of you know, maybe homelessness or healthcare, places where there seems to be no answer, like the wars in our world. It, it helps us to call for ceasefire in places like Ukraine and Gaza. This kind of peace in us allows us to go out and fight for peace and work for peace in our world. The world needs it. So it's this kind of peace that the Magi were coming to see. Though they couldn't have known all the layers I've just spoken about, this is what they found when they laid their treasures of gold, frankincense, at myrrh and myrrh, and they bowed to worship him. This was the king whom the stars were pointing towards. So I want to suggest that Jesus and his kingdom are more breathtaking than any stars in the sky, any eclipse in the heavens. Jesus and his peace. We don't know who these magi were, but we do suspect they were on a spiritual search, looking for a king, someone to follow, something to follow. And so we're here tonight, no matter what our backgrounds, we might, if we came down to it, admit that we too are on a search for this kind of peace on a search for a spiritual level peace that is so hard to find in our world. You can't buy it. You won't unwrap it in any of those gifts that you're opening tonight or tomorrow. But it's available in, in different ways, and we just invite you to celebrate it and, and, and look for it. So this King Jesus, lying as he was, lowly in a manger, like a little baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would grow to become this prince of peace. And so we too are invited, like those magi, to unwrap and bring our gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, our time, our talents, our resources, and lay them at the feet of this king and cooperate with him yeah, to, towards his peace in the world. So would you uh, pray with me as we continue to worship? Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this timeless message that you would be a prince of peace come into the world so unlikely, like a baby, so unsuspecting, and yet grow up to speak about peace, to die on a cross for peace, and then to fill your world with your Holy Spirit so this peace goes on and on. So I pray that for, the, for these friends gathered here tonight, and I pray that for our world in, in such need of peace tonight. So I thank you, Jesus, for these words. May it be so in your name. Amen. So at this time, we want to continue celebrating by lighting some candles.
So here's how it will work. We're dimming the lights a little bit. As you've heard in the Advent reading, the, this fourth week, we're in the fourth week of Advent, and Advent means arrival, God's arrival in our presence, as we've just spoken about. So among the other candles, the four battery candles we've lit all week because of the health and uh, fire regulations in here, we're going to light a flame candle tonight. It's the, it's the Christ candle. So it's the night, uh, the candle we always light on the last night of Advent. And after I, I read a little bit, after I light the Christ candle, what I'm going to do is, is if we were all holding real flame candles like in the old days, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my candle. I'll touch the candle of two people at the front. And then you can touch your candles down the aisle and slowly candlelight will fill the room as we sing Silent Night. So allow me to light the candle and then allow me to read. Scripture says this in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. You see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Then you will look and be radiant. Then your heart will throb and swell with joy, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. 